<coughs> Again, um, if you're a guest with us tonight, I'm Jack, and it's great to worship every night, every Sunday night together and together, and we're excited about what we have to celebrate after together, and tonight I want to spend a few minutes wrapping up this series we've been in called Changing. Uh, let me just do a couple quick updates. Um, you may have heard about the earthquake in Ecuador, outside Ecuador, um, and I just want to let you know that was real far north of the Compassion Project and the church that we're working with there in Ecuador, and they are all fine. Uh, but we could be praying for the people of Ecuador because obviously that was a, a devastating blow there and um, they need our prayers, so be praying for that. And then I wanna invite you back next week as we're gonna have just a great night of worship. And uh, we're excited, we'll have a few little prayer times here and there and that, but uh, um, we're just gonna worship a lot. And so I just invite you to be back and be a part of that exciting night. So we've been in this series looking at this idea of God wanting to change us along the way. And that change is a part of life. How many of you remember your baby pictures? Okay, you do. You've changed. Um, and I've changed. We've all changed. And change is a part of normal life. And it's actually meant to be a part of the normal process as we grow spiritually and following after Jesus. Now, you may be here, and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet. And that's awesome that you're here. And it's, it's great for you to be curious about who he is. And we want to be a church where you can belong before you believe. That you can kind of be a part of this journey and wrestle with it because we want you to own it for yourself. We want you to kind of come to a place where where you can understand maybe Jesus in a way that many of us have discovered him to be truly who he says he is. And the life change that he's doing in our lives is pretty monumental. And the change that he brings about is meant to be where we find our next steps in our journey of faith with him. And then we have the courage to take it. that's really the last two weeks that we've been looking at. We've looked at two big theological terms, uh, this idea that, okay, change is normal. That's a part of what goes on. And we looked at this idea of salvation, that that's a God change that only he can do. It's a permanent change when you put your trust and your faith in who Jesus is and what he did on your behalf to rescue you, to save you from your sins, and you're trusting him to be the Lord of your life. That's a change only God can do. And that's where all change starts. It has to begin there. But then there's this ongoing kind of change, this sanctification, big $10 theological word that simply says, hey, this is about progressive change, where I'm becoming more and more like Jesus, and I'm reflecting him more into this world around us. We talked last week about this idea that spiritual change takes fuel, and it's easy for us to kind of stall out if we're not kind of fueling ourselves in a spiritual manner. We looked over some of that. You can go back and see some of those notes. And tonight, I want to turn our attention to kind of a snapshot, if you will, of what does spiritual change look like according to the Bible, according to what the scriptures have to say, what does it begin to look like? And many people go to Galatians chapter five where it talks about the fruit of the spirit. It talks about, okay, as a person who's trusted their life to Christ, then love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, those are things that should be coming more and more in, in display of how I live my life now. Does that mean I never get angry? How many of you never get angry? Okay, no one's hand should be up. I've interacted with all of you. No, okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> my hand is not up either. Uh, we all struggle with different things. And, and the truth is, um, there's always gonna be parts of us that struggle with this. But the fruit of the Spirit, if it's maybe more on display this year than it was five years ago in your life, then maybe that's a good marker of spiritual change happening in your life where you're taking next steps 
in this faith journey of following Jesus and having him form more and more into our lives. Paul writes this, remember we read this the first week in Romans chapter eight, he says, look, this is part of the goal of Jesus. He wants to form himself in you. That's part of the role of what God's doing as he said, and we know that in all things, God works together for good for those who love him those who have been called according to his purpose. For uh, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That, That there is a molding process. We just labeled it change. You can label it uh, sanctification. You can label every word you want to it. But the truth is, it's about God changing us, molding us to become more and more like Jesus. And we think the world would be a better place when more people actually interacted like Jesus did. And I think even non-Christians would go, yes, that's good. And so that's kind of this goal of where we're at. The spiritual change is about what God is doing something in me, and it's my job to cooperate and to kind of lean into what God's doing into these next steps that I would have the courage to discover what they are and that I would have the courage that God infuses us and empowers us to take those next steps and that everyone's gonna be in different seasons and a different pace along that journey. But we wanna be a people who live that way. See, as a believer, um, think of it like this way. So how many of you have fruit trees, maybe in your backyard or so? If you have an orange tree, orange trees don't like work really hard to produce cherries. That's not what they do, okay? An orange tree produces what? This is not a trick question. See, you all get a gold star tonight. Um, An orange, right? And here's the truth, what we know from scripture, when you go back to the the God change that only he can do, Paul writes that you're a new creation. It's not something you did on your own, he changed you permanently. You not only have a new relationship between you and God, but you become a new creation in God and in Christ, and you are to produce what is in you. That an orange tree doesn't work hard to produce something that's not in it. And for a believer, this is the place where we say, hey, I want to lean into this process. I want to cooperate, if you will, with all the nutrients and all the things that God's doing in my life that I would produce who's in me. Well, if Jesus is in me, then I want to see that become more and more reflective in how I live and how I interact and how I react, how I navigate life. This is the part that we're to have. And Paul's saying, look, you're a new creation. And now you get to cooperate in this process of spiritual growth. And maybe it's not just how many Bible verses you memorize or how many Bible studies you go to, how many church services you hit every month. Those are good things and they're necessary things. But spiritual growth is about discovering your next step of where God wants to chip away at your character and mold you to become more and more how Jesus would be in those moments. And so this idea of at conversion, God does a change. When you say yes to Jesus, when you put your faith in him, God does a permanent change forever. And our ongoing transformation is therefore about us trying to live out in real time the change that he did. So we're trying to lean into that and become. And so in a lot of ways, Paul gives a few pictures, if you will, snapshots, of what a transformed life begins to look like. We'll call them markers of a changed life because what we see is not just in Galatians chapter five, those are really good ones. But what you'll read in Romans chapter 12, I think is some great snapshots. Now if you've ever done sports uh, or in, in anything in your life with that, what you've probably have done is maybe had someone videotape you 
and you can learn a lot from that because you see mistakes or you see habits that you have, but probably what you've done is you've studied uh, people who are better than you in that sport, and you've watched a video of them, and you've tried to kind of mimic in a lot of ways. Now, spiritual growth is very individualized, okay? Everybody has a different path. Everyone takes a different journey in that, but we can look in a lot of ways at what Paul's writing here in Romans chapter 12 is some snapshots of what a changed life looks like, and you can begin to see, hey, is my life looking more and more like that? And so that's where I wanna go tonight, and then I want you to hear another story uh, of someone who's kind of been on this similar path and one of these markers that we'll see tonight. And so take your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, Here's what Paul begins to write, and here's the first couple verses. Here's what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is a true act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, all the mercy he's poured on us from Jesus, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, if you remember sacrifice, sacrifices would be placed on an altar, and they would be killed, the blood spilt, and that's how it goes, right? A living sacrifice is a little tricky because living sacrifices squirm. True? So what is Paul saying here? Hey, uh, God's not gonna kill you. That's not what he's trying to get to here. But a living sacrifice in, in a word comes down to surrender. In a word, it comes down to this idea that God, I'm not gonna squirm. Even though there's parts of me that may want to. What I want more than anything is to be a person that leans into the next steps you're calling me to and I'm gonna cooperate with that. I'm gonna be a person who cooperates with what your spirit's doing in my heart and my life and what he's calling to me in those next steps and I'm gonna surrender my will to say not my will be done, but yours be done. See, living sacrifice can squirm. In a lot of ways, spiritually, we can kind of squirm out of a lot of things. Well, did God really say that? No, he didn't really say that. Well, he kind of did. And so, what is, it's kind of limiting the squirm factor, if you will, in our lives to say, God, how do you call me to live? And I may not like it. In fact, the world may say, no, don't, that's old-fashioned. Don't worry about that. Um, you just do this. And the truth is, God's saying, no, look, I have a plan for your life, and it's actually for your betterment. And sometimes you settle for something so much less than I want you to have because you've squirmed. And the truth is, God's calling us to be a living sacrifice. And what is sacrifice? It's a sacrifice, people. Okay, there's no way around that. There's a cost to it. But the reward far outweighs the squirming and far outweighs what you feel like you give up. What God is saying is, I have your best in mind, your best at heart. I want you to surrender to my leadership and allow me to guide you and to lead you. I want you to be renewed uh, or transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea that a changed life always begins with surrender. And a changed life always comes about by renewing your mind having your mind renewed to what God thinks about things, to having your mind renewed to see things from God's point of view. And in our culture, that's a challenge. 
it's a challenge for us sometimes to, to see things from God's point of view because we wanna see it from our point of view. We wanna see it from the point of view that makes the most sense and has the biggest benefit for us. And the truth is God may not see it that way. And so it's this idea of having your mind transformed. That's why it's important for us to spend time in the word. It's important for us to lean into scriptures. These have stood the test of time. They are God's word to us. And we are not to neglect them. We are to lean into them and to have them begin to shape us and mold us because God wants to communicate with his people. He does that outside of just the Bible, but the Bible's important and he calls us to it. This is how you renew your mind to begin thinking more and more the way God sees things, the way he perceives things. He goes on, uh, verse three here, here's what he says. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to. Hmm. We should read that to the politicians. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Uh, But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to you. God's distributed his gifts to his people. For just as each of you has one body with many members, these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have a part to play. Listen, you are gifted. As a follower of Jesus, you've been given some spiritual gifts. You actually have some, uh, some abilities and some thoughts and the ways that you see the world and those are talents and abilities and they're great, but you actually have some spiritual gifts that God's equipped you with and as you have said yes to Jesus and he wants you to use those gifts to the betterment of other people, to the betterment of how you can serve the church and how you can be in the church member isn't a building. We don't have one, okay? We meet here because we gather in a space. We have a space, that's what we have. The church is us, friends. The church is us leaning in and you using your gifts to help this place and this community and this city grow because you're contributing, you're partnering with what God is doing. See, a changed life will always have a marker of a humble servant, someone who's using their gift set to serve the church, to serve people around them, to help make them better, to help them grow in their spiritual journeys. That's some of the markers that we see. We begin to see God working in the lives of people as we all contribute and partner in what we're doing in this world. He goes on. And in verse nine, he says this, look, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. One of the spiritual markers of someone who's living a changed life is that love is reflective in how they live, how they think, how they react, how they interact. Love is becoming more and more a part of who they are, how they see the world, how they interact in the world. Love matters. Jesus said, people will know that you're my followers. By what? By the way you love one another. Isn't it interesting that Jesus picked that descriptor to be, it wasn't who can wave a tambourine, and that's awesome if you wave tambourines, that's cool. It's not who can wave the Christian flag, who can hold and stand in the middle and wave a Bible. Those aren't wrong, but what did Jesus say? People will know you're my followers by the way you love one another. Love God, love people. That's what Jesus boiled everything down to. 
and he had this challenge. And love is hard. It's hard when you've been hurt, isn't it? It's really hard to love when you've been hurt. It's hard to choose love when you're struggling in life, when you're facing setbacks in life. But in those moments, God is saying over and over again, I want love to be a marker of your life. And so here's the question to begin to ask yourself. How am I doing as a person who lives out a life of love? Where was I at five years ago? And where am I at now in that? I think sometimes in this whole spiritual growth thing, I don't know if you all struggle with this. Sometimes we think of our past, here's where I was, and we think about where we wanna be, and then we see reality in the mirror and where we are, and we have this tension of where all this is and how am I doing in all this stuff, and yet I think what Paul is painting a picture here is, look, let love be a part of the marker of your life. Let humility, let humble service in how you serve other people, let, let your mind becoming renewed. Let this idea of, of surrender, not just to God once and for all, but in each area of your life that you're managing, is God managing this with you or are you taking control of it? Have you surrendered that? And so these, these markers that we begin to see that Paul is writing to and he's saying, look, this is important. He goes on, he talks about uh, this other marker of not just love, but this idea of living with, with deep grace. As he says, he goes on, um, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. He's talking about living a life of faith. Life's tough, isn't it? It just is. There's great joys, don't get me wrong, right? We've all had them. But there's deep valleys in life too. And it's in those moments where God is saying, look, just keep going. Just keep living this faith. Don't quit. Fuel up if you need to. But you keep going as a person of faith that you can live with something beyond the circumstantial that you see, that you realize that there is a hope that awaits you. And there is an anchor of that hope who is Jesus. And there is a promise that he said, life with him is forever kind of deal which far outweighs the circumstances of the moment that you're in where you're feeling set back and you're struggling to realize there is a hope that keeps pulling me forward. That's why Peter and, and Paul and, and uh, not Mary, but, um, these, that's an old joke. So uh, just, <clears throat> that's why they wrote so much to the New Testament of saying just persevere, just keep going. People who faced affliction way more than we face. Let's just be honest, be real about it. They faced great affliction and great persecution. And what was the hope that was pulling them forward was Jesus. Look, this isn't what it all is about. That's what they were saying. There's something greater. What's interesting about Romans chapter 12, if you look at it, you can see segments. But if you look at it as a whole, here's what you begin to see. You can't do any of these in isolation. All of these have a, a characteristic to it that we're to live in community one to another. And that as we live in community, we're to help spur one another on, that you help sharpen me and I help sharpen you and we're doing this actually together and yes, our feathers might get ruffled a little bit, but that actually may be for your good. Because it may actually reveal some selfishness in your own life, it may reveal some things in you that God wants to chip away at as part of your growth pattern. 
and part of where you need to go next. And that community has to be, it talks about practicing hospitality. Well, you can't do that to yourself. I mean, you could go to dinner and pull out your own chair and sit down and cut your own food for yourself and then feed it to yourself and pretend you're someone else, but that's weird. You'll get weird looks. <laughs> hospitality and, and practice of, of peace Peace isn't, I mean, you can have a peace of your own life if it's just you, but it's hard to experience peace when it's other people, and yet we have to work for that. We have to strive to that, and there's community has a way of, of pulling us to become better than what we could shape on our own. And what I want you to see tonight is not just in scripture do we see community beginning to not just do a healing work within us when we need it, but community doing a work that's calling us to something greater. And community reaching out to us in those moments when we're feeling alone. And reaching out to us in those moments where we become stuck. And community pulling us to something greater. That's what Paul is saying, is community needs to be a marker of your spiritual journey. Do not give up on the habit of meeting together. The scriptures scream that. This is not a lone ranger religion. This is the idea of community together. This isn't a cult, okay, let's not go there. This is about a faith journey where people are all running in the same direction, following the one and only Savior who says, you follow me and I'll make you better and I'll make you better. And community matters. I want you to hear um, Kevin's story. I, I wish you could get to know Kevin a little bit that I've like, gotten to know him over the last year and I'm excited for him to share. And uh, his story is a story of community and how that began to change his journey of faith of where he had been to where he is now and what God's doing and the change he's doing in his life. This is Kevin's story. Hi, um, my name's Kevin. Uh, I grew up in uh, Montana with a Christian family. Really, it wasn't a bad like upbringing or anything. I had my parents both stayed together, lived in lived in a nice little quiet neighborhood, two cars, you know, the American dream. It wasn't bad, but uh, I definitely uh, struggled with the whole idea of just knowing Jesus and living up to like the expectations. No swearing, no watching our movies, like <laughs> no staying out past 10 a.m. or p.m. I don't know, but. Um, I really definitely like I'd go to church and be one person and then uh, then I'd go to school and be someone completely different like I guess after I moved moved out of the house um, I went off to Portland to do culinary school and I just kind of decided to live life my own way Jesus was still a part of my life but I uh, I definitely was done kind of following following rules and being a fake person so my relationship with Jesus just kind of became an afterthought something that like you know maybe once a week if I happen to go to church I'd think about it's kind of done with the whole it was done with the whole God thing the whole Jesus thing and kind of just wanted to have fun do my own thing so every night after work I'd go to the bar drink like eight, 20 beers, like, it really depended on the night. And uh, one night I ended up, like, getting pulled over on my way home and uh, got a DUI. And so right after that, I ended up moving down to Tucson. 
and moved in at a, at my work in an old like rundown motel room basically um, with I'd lost my driver's license because my uh, because of my DUI so I was basically stuck in this motel room eight miles from the nearest bus stop sitting there every day with nothing to do no no cable no internet didn't know anyone in Tucson so <laughs> it was just me in an empty room with like five DVDs most of which sucked um, and that was really just some of the loneliest most heartbreaking times of my life I'd <laughs> go to work with people like a lot of people I didn't even really like <laughs> get off work like kill half of a 30 pack and then pass out and that was my life day in and day out I just wanted to drink away like all the loneliness I felt inside um, and I I ended up basically just not caring at all about anything like I just really I didn't want to live anymore it was it was rough um, so I after I got my driver's license back I uh, I basically decided I need to do something differently. I've been living life my own way and I'm pretty miserable, so slowly started getting back involved in church. Um, but I, I wasn't ready to like, just give up my friends from work and things I was doing. So I'd go to church, get involved in like Bible studies a little bit, um, do that and then go out and party after that and uh, ended up getting a second DUI. So at that point, I just cut that out completely. Didn't really have a huge group from church to fall back on, so went back to being really, really lonely and really, really depressed. Um, and work started to suffer. I'd <laughs> go into work and randomly cry some days like just show up and all of a sudden I was bawling for 15 minutes um, and, and at that point I just kind of got fed up enough where I was like I can't fix this God like I, I don't think I'm even gonna try like keep reading in the Bible that you can you can fix things so do it because I <laughs> I can't do this um, with that, he slowly started to bring people into my life and community into my life where I wasn't alone all the time anymore. And I, I just grabbed onto that and like dove in head first, like just get involved in church. Like I knew I was a mess still, but we're going to get involved. We're going <laughs> to do something because it's better than just sitting around alone with a pack of Budweiser every night, crying myself to sleep. Um, yeah, and the other thing I really tried doing was just uh, being really open and honest about where I was at with people who, like, God had brought into my life at that point. Because it just seemed useless to me to show up and try to pretend like everything was okay. Because that would just bring me right back to where I started. Um, through that, I've just seen so much, uh, so much positive change, like, as far as... I'm definitely, and it's, this isn't something that's happened overnight and I still 
struggle a lot with like, I'll have weeks where I'm super depressed and <laughs> don't really like life, but I definitely have a lot of hope now in, in Jesus and what he's done for me. Um, he, he died on the cross, like, forgive my sin, like I don't have to do anything. And just being free to tell people about <laughs> like everything he's done for me, his sacrifice for me, it's been awesome. Yeah. You know, the story that we're invited into is a story of, of change. It's a story where we each own our own next step. But here's the beautiful part. We never have to take that next step alone. That we never have to venture out in our own energy and our own effort to do that. Not only do we have God who wants to empower us for that change, but he wants to put people around us that will help us move forward in that change, who will help minister to us in the relational needs we have and in our aloneness needs that we have, but also to champion us, to sometimes challenge us to something better, sometimes to comfort us as we go through challenge. And community matters. And what Paul's saying in Romans 12 is, look, do this together. Do this in a way where um, maybe if we would, we'd use this as a blueprint so to speak, to say, how are you not only changing, but how is the church changing? To become better and better and helping people find their next step with Jesus and to begin to take those next steps with him. We said the first week, what's your next step? That's what you need to pray about. Second week was, hey, God, what's my next step? Now that I know it, just give me the courage to actually do it, like to take a step in that. And this week, I'd love for you to pray this. God, who have you put around me that's gonna help me grow and keep going? And who have you put around me that I need to pour into to help them keep going, and to help them keep growing? It's this invitation that we've been given. And so as we take a moment here to remember Jesus in communion, and we'll wrap up our evening and, and head out and celebrate, to celebrate community together, to celebrate that we get to help people take their next steps in their faith journey. We've got a few folks, a couple that are getting baptized tonight, and if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, why not tonight? Just do it. Um, and we'll, we got a towel for you, we'll figure it out. Um, but maybe tonight is a night that you'd, you'd say yes to that. And I want you to, to come meet me down here by this door. Um, and we'll do that about 10 minutes after the service ends. We'll get time to get out there. Um, but as we take communion tonight, let's remember that the reason we remember Christ's life and his death and his resurrection is because he paved the way for any change to ever happen. You don't manufacture it on your own. He's the one that did the change as we put our faith in him. And he's the one that empowers us to take our next steps of faith. And that we get to do that together. Be thinking about who has God put in your path that's pouring into you to help you with your next steps? And who has God put in your path that you can help pour into them and help them take their next steps? And so would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to, to live life with you. Thank you for the change that you want to do in our hearts and our minds. I, I pray that we would always be a church community, a faith community that's helping each other find out their next step encouraging them to take it, and that we be people who champion one another. As we remember, uh, Jesus, your life, your death, your resurrection, that's what you did for us. You entered into our world. 
And you paid a price that we could never pay. You made a way for us to have a relationship with you. And now you empower us to find our next steps and to keep taking those with you. And so fathers, we take communion tonight as we have a little moment to reflect here. Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, of who's in our life that we need to spend more time and investment in because they're pouring into us, helping us keep going and growing. And then who's around us that we need to invest in to help keep them going and growing. And that we'd be a church that does this community thing the best we know how in the moments we're in. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.